This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 113, Nightmare Scenarios. What happens to bank on yourself when the world goes crazy with Amanda Neely. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. If you're listening to this, it means you survived the zombie apocalypse. We want to just get the word out to everyone that uh, we're just glad to have you with us and that you survived Halloween. Welcome to a new episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast. I'm one half of your co-host, Mark Willis, and with me here is Holly Bach. Welcome, Holly. Thank you. Welcome, everyone. All right. So we've got some fun to cover together today. You know, I don't know if you ever do this, Holly, but do you ever just sort of spin out into the uh, wild and crazy what ifs, you know, where you've mm-hmm. got your, your just your, your mind is going into overdrive, like what if such and such happens, you know, you're in a big theater and what if a fire breaks out, that sort of, has that ever happened to you or is that oh, just yeah. weird for me? No, absolutely. I, I torture myself with what if scenarios quite frequently. <laughs> so there's got to be a card game that lets us have fun with this little uh, perk in the human experience, but uh, you know I don't know of it right now. But um, <laughs> but before we get into some really interesting, I think uh, much asked for uh, content by a lot of our listeners, you know what happens to bank on yourself when X, you know when the dollar collapses or when you know uh, you know uh, aliens come from outer space or, or or when you know gold takes off or Bitcoin takes over or whatever it might be. Right, we're going to cover a ton of that today. But before you have a quick announcement, Holly. And then we'll get right to it. Yes. So um, just a quick offer for you all, our listeners. I wanted to let you know that we have um, a new book that just came out written by Pamela Yellen called Rescue Your Retirement, Five Wealth-Killing Traps of 401ks, IRAs, and Roth Plans, and How to Avoid Them. Um, And so this book just came out hot off the press, and we wanted to share it with you all. I think it is super, super valuable content by an awesome author that we've actually had had the pleasure of having on our podcast, as well as um, really kind of been um, promoting her first two books for Mm -hmm. a long time now. So now she just came out with a third, and we want you all to enjoy it as well. So wanted to just kind of give you you all the offer that we'd love to give you and share with you a free copy of her book, um, completely free to you. Don't worry about all the you know little extra shipping, blah, blah, blah. Nope, totally free to you. And all you have to do um, in order to get a free copy of it is either write us a review on the podcast. And so um, just go ahead, write us a review. We'll make sure to get you a copy or if you schedule an appointment with us before the end of the year. So uh, just before the end of the year, get an appointment with us and um, free free copy of the book is yours. Great point, Holly. And, and really quick on that point, if you leave us an iTunes review and it has to be on iTunes so we can find it, do send us a screenshot so we know that you sent it along with your mailing address, of course. Uh, so email us a picture of your review to hello at nyafinancialpodcast.com. And if you want to hop on our calendars, how can we do? How can folks do that for us? Yeah, so they can just go to our website um, and then there's buttons there you can click. I mean, they're like mm-hmm. all over yeah. the place. We try and make it super, super simple, super easy. Um, just it. click on, you know, book a meeting and then it will actually pop up with just our online calendars. And so you'll be able to just flip through there, see what works for you and get that set up. So good. Okay, so love the book. It's so much fun. I can't wait to get it in your hands, guys. Uh, but today, for today, we're going to get right into today's content. 
uh, I won't make you any longer. Amanda Neely is one of our absolute uh, rock stars. We love working with her. She's been on our show a few times in the past. She has her own very own uh, podcast she does with Brandon Neely, her husband. Uh, it's called Grandma's Wealth Wisdom. So if you like what you're hearing on this show, you want to get some just some more of this action, you can go over to Grandma's Wealth Wisdom to have more fun. Uh, but Amanda went through, a, I think, just a, a litany of different scenarios, different storms, different crashes, different market volatility scenarios, deflation, inflation. I think you're going to love this content. So let's uh, let's get right into it. Welcome, Amanda Neely. Amanda, welcome to the show. Uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me, Mark. So we're going to jump into some pretty fun semi-tinfoil hat. I, I like putting my tinfoil. That's what I wore for Halloween was my tinfoil hat. Uh, so you, you say that you're not a prepper, but you're envious of preppers. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I'm, I come from a long line of worriers. I'm constantly thinking about what if this happens? What if that happens? Like I grew up, you know, learning to drive and I would think like, what if a deer ran out right now? You know, <laughs> what would happen when my husband's gone without me? I think, what if he died right now? Uh, we have a strategy for if, you know, the city is on fire, whatever, what we're going to do. And sometimes I wish I prepped more in terms of physical objects. I happen to be a minimalist. So having a storeroom of stuff isn't my thing, but I kind of wish I had one without having to like have one. You know what I mean? Oh, sweet. Oh, good call. Well, and you're not you're not worrying for no reason. I mean, Chicago has literally been on fire before. I think they call right. that the Great Chicago Fire. So you're yeah. not on off the on the wrong trail there. What I'd love to spend some time chatting with you about today is let's let's really ratchet up our um, our imaginations and just sort of discuss how a bank on yourself policy might be impacted by a number of different nightmare scenarios. Uh, this being Halloween week and weekend. So, you know, for, for where we're going to start, I think we're going to just start with just the the craziest of all nightmare scenarios. Let's just get that out of the way first. We, we will come back to it, I think. But, you know, if, if we just go zombie apocalypse, you know, if we're, we're really just Mad Max, Terminator 10, whatever we're at at that point, I mean, let's just get this out of the way. It's not going to matter what your bank on yourself type whole life policy is doing at that point, right? <laughs> right. Or whatever financial product you have, what your rate of return is, yeah. or you know, all of that kind of thing. That You're going to be more worried about food, shelter, water, protecting your life and the life of your loved ones. And as you should be, those are way more important. Exactly. I'm going to be way more concerned about the return of my water uh, or the return of my food, yeah, then then the return of some interest rate. Exactly right. You can't spend that uh, at the grocery store if, if zombies have taken over the grocery store. Wow. Right. Okay. So good. All right. So let's start with maybe a, a series of crashes that look something more closely approximating reality, at least in this world that we're living in today. Um, and for folks that are maybe anticipating or even acknowledging the fact that we may not be living in the dream world economy that some um, media uh, personalities or politicians might want us to believe we're living in. Um, talk to us a little bit about how the Wall Street, and this is more of a conversation, I guess, than anything, but if Wall Street was to just crash even 20% into a bear market or like it did twice already since the year 2000, if it crashed by 50%, what would be the reality of our policy 
what, what about, you know, our life insurance insurance companies? What happens if we have another major market crash in real estate or, or stocks? Yeah, well, this is, we know what has happened before. You know, uh, we can even look back to the Great Depression. Life insurance existed then. It was used widely, you know, really more commonly than today. And when, you know, Black Friday hit, um, there were lots of people that had life insurance policies and they saw what happened throughout the Great Depression. And a lot of them, that was their safety net that got them through. It even helped some business owners grow their businesses or do some different strategies that other people couldn't do that just you know had more of their money in the stock market or didn't have both and um and there's i there's countless stories you know of 2008 people we know that bought real estate uh, with all the foreclosures and have made millions of dollars doing that because they had that liquid pool of cash to available and accessible and everyone else was losing money they had the same amount that was actually still growing just as it had in, they anticipated it would. Love that. Yeah. And, and every single year they got the guaranteed annual cash value increase and even dividends and profits on top of that guaranteed cash value increase, even through these great meltdowns of, like you said, 2008 or 2001 and two or 1929 or the stagflation of the late seventies, early eighties, the market crashes of the, 90s the the long history of these policies is it's cumulative not there's no volatility right um you know with with uh, stock market performance you can go up but then next year's down might erase what you went up this year um it's more of a seesaw whereas whole life policies you know look to nature on this you know think about a tree every year that tree gets a new ring if you've ever cut down a tree or seen the rings of a tree it's not so much the rate of those rings, you know, where some rings might be large or small depending on how much rain came in, but it's always getting bigger. And each ring by way of volume weighs more or is bigger by way of volume than the last year's ring. Uh, and I think the same is true with these policies. You've got, a, you've got a policy that's volume is getting larger on a yearly basis and I think the policy is similar. It's it's not about rate, is it? It's about consistent compounding of the dollar so you never lose a dollar ever again that goes into the policy. Right. And it's liquid. It's there for you. Um, so not only do you not have to worry about it going down, you also don't have to worry about it not being there. Although no. there could be a case in the case of a run on the bank that might be timed at the same time as a Wall Street a correction or a big crash where banks are closed. And that's often a question I get. Well, what if all the banks are closed because everyone's trying to get their money because there's this crash happening? How do I get the money from my policy then? Oh, you bring up a really good point here, Amanda. So just to say that again, and then I'd love to get your answer to that question. Um, so yeah, the, the bank on yourself strategy relies on a regular bank, right? To to, in order to get the loan deposited into my bank account so I can spend it on a car or groceries or whatever I'm needing to use my loan for at that point in this nightmare scenario, um, you're right. I need to have a functional bank to make that work. So what happens? What do you do if banks start closing? 
I'm hoping at least some bank out there is open and I can go hurry and open an account with them mm, and yeah. then send that money to my life insurance company and get my money sent there instead. I think that's smart. Yeah. Even if there was only one bank in the entire world slash country, I guess, world really, you could arrange for the life insurance company to coordinate the deposit uh, and you could deposit a paper check or, or an electronic deposit in, in there. Even if they close the very next day, you could get your cash in hand and keep it in your vault or safe or something. Okay, cool. So I'm, I'm feeling good, feeling pretty good about this, uh, you know, prepping nightmare scenarios. Uh, but, you know, what about, let's just ratchet it up a notch here to like class, the next class of storms. Let's talk about things beyond just, you know, your typical recession or, or even great recession where the Wall Street casino gets cut in half. Let's talk about more structural macroeconomic nightmares, okay? Uh, so okay. De- a, what about a decline in the dollar? I get a lot of people asking me about the trouble that the dollar could come under. One, what happens in the world? But two, like what happens to our policies, the value of our, our policies? Funny enough, this has happened before. So we can look to history to tell us what happens when this happens. Uh, One thing that we saw uh, previously when the dollar went down is that a lot of Asian countries started buying up our dollars because they were making our products and they wanted to still sell them to us. They wanted us to have the ability to purchase their products. And so uh, that helped maintain the dollar strength uh, at that point. Um, And so that continues to give American com- or the American dollar some strength and uh, competitiveness in the world market because they other countries want us to buy their goods, and then vice versa. When the dollar goes down, other countries want to buy from American companies, <laughs> and be- because they can buy more with our dollar because it's valued less. So then that actually gives our companies more profit, and mm-hmm. especially like if I have a family business that's selling things online and people are buying it all over the world, I might even see a huge increase overnight of my sales. Uh, when I go to log in and check how were sales going last night, I'm going to be rushing to the post office to mail out products, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of exciting. But then to get to what happens with the dollars in our policy, yes, temporarily or for a longer term, depending on how severe it is, the cash value, the death benefit might be worth less because they are dollars that the the insurance company is saying that those are. Uh, But also the dollars I'm putting in during those times are worth less too. So my premium is easier to pay. Maybe temporarily I can increase how much I'm putting in. uh, So that gets me even longer term growth. And you know, these crashes, these they ha- they happen in cycles. They don't they don't last forever. So things typically t- uh, tend to recover. So I'm gonna actually see that even out over time, and maybe even put me in a better situation. That's true. I like it. the The devaluing of the dollar doesn't have to be a permanent end of the world scenario. It could even just be a temporary season or chapter. And then you've got the recovery of whatever currency or asset. Now, you know, what if like, um, what if it really goes off the rails and the dollar is replaced? I mean, the dollar wasn't um, created in on the sixth day or something to be the world's currency. It really was, you know, if you if we do our history, it was a re- recent, relatively recent uh, move 
And it was as a result of the USA collecting much, much of the world's gold reserves that the world essentially moved after um, the war to, to make the dollar the world currency. But that could possibly change. So what happens? Again, another nightmare scenario here. What if we found the world trading something besides dollars as their kind of backstop world reserve currency? Whether it's um, you know uh, a current a cryptocurrency or some other uh, tender of maybe it's gold, maybe it's some other you know uh, world currency of some kind. What do you think happens to the policy in that case? And um, I don't know. Has that ever come up in your conversations? It totally has. And I typically ask like. Um, you know, if the dollar hasn't been around forever, you know, it wasn't created on the sixth day, what do you think life insurance companies used before the dollar was created? You know, let's say you live in, you know, the state of Massachusetts and you've had a policy since, you know, a life insurance policy in the 1700s before there was the U.S. dollar. What do you, what was the life insurance company probably using at that point? Yeah, uh, something before the U.S. dollar, I assume the state currency. Right, didn't right. most states right. have their own currency? Yeah, or if not the British pound, or you know, who knows? Right, doesn't matter. <laughs> um, and they would have switched when the dollar became a thing, you know, and and the the primary mode. Couldn't they just make that switch again pretty easily? Yeah, well, you're right. In fact, I pinned down a, a, a assistant vice president of one of the insurance companies that I work with and asked him, you know, what happens if you know the dollar is no longer the legal tender in the state where my contract was issued. Uh, and, you know, yeah, they said it's whatever the legal tender is in that wherever the contract is domiciled. Uh, so could it be that I end up getting my cash value or my death benefit paid to my family uh, in Bitcoin? Maybe. Who knows? What about like a, a major bout of hyperinflation or deflation? The grand macro trend of deflation is when everything gets less and less expensive and everyone's like, well, why is that a problem? Well, the problem is you also are selling things too, not just a consumer, but also hopefully you're employed or you are a producer of things. And if the prices are coming down and down and down, that's going to mean you're going to have to lay some people off, which means those people no longer can buy the cheaper and cheaper goods because they don't have a job. You know, um, Even 50% off, <laughs> is still more than what you can afford if you don't have any income at all. So what happens to our policies and how do we manage our policies if we're in a major deflationary environment? I'm, I'm thinking about some of the demographic trends coming our way. We heard from Scott Moody and Wendy Warkalik on episode 103 about demographic winter when everyone gets so old that they no longer are producing or contributing to society. Amanda, what happens to my policy if we're in a deflationary environment like that? Yeah, this is one of my biggest fears, being a younger person, knowing I might have my taxes raised significantly in the future and um, employment is never certain, you know, all those things. And at that point, I'm gonna be really, really glad that I saved money aside diligently starting in my 20s, you know, to, to whenever that happened. And that I have that pot of money that I can use. It's liquid, accessible. I don't have to wait till I'm 59 and a half or anything like that. And I can maybe go buy a bunch of product and hold it and sell it later, you know, after prices recover. Or I can use it to just buy what my family needs and, and get through. Um, 
And I won't have to use as much of the money in my policy to do that because it's half off. And where everyone else is struggling, maybe going into debt to cover those things, I'm, I'm going to just be able to use what I've saved so far that's still accessible to me. Wow, that's so true. Yeah, the, the sitting on a pot of cash that's getting more and more valuable because prices are going down and down and down. That's awesome. That makes great sense. And I guess the, um, the key thing to remember is you have flexibility with your premium. If times are really getting tough, that means your premiums are getting harder to pay for, right? Yeah. Uh, in deflationary environments where dollars are becoming more scarce. Uh, so, you know, you have some different exit strategies on the funding of the policy. If times are really tough, you could reduce the premium since much of that premium to a structured bank on yourself type policy is totally optional uh, to you. You can reduce or even stop the premiums uh, if we need to. You can make some adjustments to where it's not wiping you out to pay your premiums every year or every month, right? Yep, for sure. But you're right. If you've got this big pot of cash that you're sitting on in the policy, that becomes your cash of opportunities. Let's say that. And compare that with if I was putting my money right now and had been for many years into the stock market Mm -hmm. and then the aging population, we go into uh, winter and the people that are in their 70s, 80s are selling their stock and that's the majority of their population is selling my stocks are going to be declining in value a lot because there's not as many people, let alone, you know, we're not, we don't typically have the same resources that our parents had because of student loans and all those kind of things. Um, That that's actually one of the things that would really scare me if that's where my money was. Well, yeah, I mean, deflation has the opposite effect of inflation, which is all we've ever experienced in our lifetimes, Amanda. I mean, imagine if your checking account appreciated over and against what the stock market could do with no investment required. Would anybody invest or risk if your stock, if your dollars in your checking account did better than the stock market on a guaranteed basis? Because, you know, simply there are less dollars today than there were yesterday. I mean, what would the stock market be doing if your checking account could do all of that, right? right. All you have to do is wait a little while and the prices would come, come tumbling down. So it encourages people saving, which is weird to think because we've all experienced nothing but inflation in our lifetime, but it hasn't always been that way, right? Right. I was going to say that that might be even harder for me to imagine than a zombie apocalypse because like you said, I've, I've never seen that in my life. I've seen recessions, but never that deflation that you're talking about. I mean, the inflationary environment we're in today and have been for the last 30, 40 years, it really strong arms everyday people into being, becoming Wall Street gamblers. Uh, and once that stops, or if that ever stopped with deflation, we'd all sit on our nest egg in our little checking account, or in your case, in my case, a bank on yourself type policy, uh, which does a, a much better deal than just a regular boring checking account. But it would just vaporize the Wall Street uh, roller coaster because who would risk if you could be assured you're, you were going to have more appreciation in your checking account tomorrow than you had today? Mm-hmm. Wow, Very okay. good point. Well, what about a uh, hyperinflation? You know, a lot of people see that coming as we are running up bigger and bigger deficits. We hit one trillion dollars already this year as we're recording this in 2019, August. Um, so, what happens to my policy or your policy? Should you know we see wild, crazy inflation? Yeah, I think this is you know very similar to the decline in the dollar because if prices are going up, the dollar 
buys fewer things. So um, it also means maybe my salary is going up or the amount that I'm making as a business owner is going up. So that kind of um, lets me put less value into the policy for the same premium dollar um, and helps counterbalance the um, that the dollars within my policy would buy less. It's hard for me to be convinced of hyperinflation because the the government is setting the federal interest rate, and we actually just got a rate cut uh, as of this recording back in July. Um, but you know, it's technically possible. But what? How could that possibly come about if if the government has to eat its own? medicine, so to speak, if it raises interest rates, even a point or two above what it is today, we literally as a country could not pay our own debts. We, we have so, such high deficits now that if we raised our interest rate too high, even just another percentage point or two, it would literally consume the entire federal budget uh, for Congress. And we just about can't pay our debts anyway. Uh, so raising our interest rates too high would essentially cut off our nose to spite our face. So it's hard for me to imagine hyperinflation. But I'm, you know, certainly no macroeconomist, but that seems to be a kind of a non-starter for me uh, at this stage, unless someone yeah. convinces me otherwise. If they did increase the interest rates, I know because insurance companies are heavily using uh, corporate bonds that those interest rates would also be affected there. And I might actually see a greater dividend in my policy as well to help offset some of the inflation that's happening in other areas. It's such a smart point, Amanda. The party is going to be at my house if, if we do see rates go crazy high because like, you know, in the last period of stagflation in the late 70s and early 80s, mortgage rates went all the way up to 15 and 18%, even as we had, you know, you know, high unemployment at the same time. Now, that's a rare nightmare scenario, um, but it has happened in many of our listeners' lifetimes, so it totally could happen again. And that was an interesting period because the whole life policies themselves during that period, we can go back and look, dividends usually trail the overall prevailing interest rate by a few years. But yeah, there are records of the dividends being paid on these policies at 15, 16%. So if we went overnight into hyperinflation, obviously we'd take a hit. But you know, our policy would play catch up for the next few years and, and we'd be rolling in the, in the hyperinflation dough, so to speak. So yeah. with our final moments here, I want to get to kind of the last nightmare scenario where really everything goes off the rails and we just lose, essentially we lose Western civilization if, if we can kind of describe it that way. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, if we're, if we're off, off the grid, we, maybe we had an EMP go off and we've lost everything. All contracts essentially are null and void. There's no paper trail necessarily. We're, we've even maybe lost the rule of law. Let's talk about what happens. And while we kind of joked at the beginning of the episode about a zombie apocalypse, you know, let's think in terms of, well, okay, so my brokerage account is basically gone. There is no stock market. Uh, but real estate, a lot of people think that's the safe play because, you know, hey, we'll always have need shelter over our heads. Can you talk to me a bit about the risk of real estate in that kind of a scenario? Yeah, um, it might be easiest to picture because, you know, if um, if I have renters, you know, renting a property from me and there's a zombie apocalypse and I try to go say, 
you know, this is my property. You stopped paying me rent. I want to take it over. There's a thing called squatters rights that they have a right to stay there. And I can't just, you know, kick them out because they're not paying me rent or, and there's a whole legal process we have to follow. And if the courts aren't open, <laughs> you know, like there, no one's going to kick them out for me. Um, and so, you know, even the police would need some kind of order from a court system. So then that bit, property basically becomes meaningless to me in terms of providing for myself and my family. Well, you're bringing it up, Amanda, but I want to point it out that um, real estate is built around contract law. And contracts are only as good as the, the system that supports that contract. And, you know, Western civilization, some might say, is built around the idea of contracts. I mean, it goes clear back to Eastern civilization, too. I mean, look at, heck, look at Deuteronomy, for example, or, you know, the Ten Commandments is kind of a contract. But how, building yourself around a rule of law uh, or a way of agreement to, to abide by certain limitations is kind of what being neighbors is sort of about in the very basic caveman sense of the word there. And if that is gone, then, you know, real estate doesn't matter. Certainly paper assets and things don't matter, but, you know, you've really got the same problem with real estate as you would with every other contract-based um, asset to your name, right? Um, yeah. Some people have brought up Exter's uh, pyramid, and it's a really cool uh, image of what's sort of laid out over the you know over many different asset classes. So you know he 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 lived in uh, John Exter uh, wrote uh, lived from 1910 to 2006. He was an American economist with a uh, really cool chart, essentially in in the midst of uh, President Nixon taking us off the gold standard in 1971. Exeter claimed that a uh, collapsing economy, you really should move down his pyramid in order to achieve liquidity and safety. And so we can include the image of this model in our show notes, but to get kind of a visual image in your mind, at the very bottom of this upside down pyramid is gold. It's what he claimed would be the best, safest, most liquid asset, actually, in the midst of financial calamity. And then above that was paper money of various forms, uh, Federal Reserve notes, treasury bills, government bonds, listed stocks, and on upwards toward muni bonds, commodities, diamonds, real estate is toward the top, and then small businesses are at the very top, so small cap stocks and so forth. Um, that, that to me, I think, really says a lot because much of the insurance companies wrapped up in uh, stuff toward the bottom of that pyramid, not gold necessarily, but you know, paper money uh, and investment grade corporate bonds and all the things in between there. Yeah, the, I think the big thing about this whole rule of law that a lot of people don't realize is that your life insurance is a contract. And I don't know about you, but I still have my paper contract in a safe place. And even if there's this doomsday scenario, there are going to be people that think that it's going to get better, that it's going to return to normal or even better than normal. And I could, if I don't believe that's true, I could take my contract to them and they would buy my life insurance or I could trade it in for gold or chickens or whatever. Um, and even if it's not like companies that are doing this, there, there might be people that do this on the black market. Um, but even today, like there are companies that buy life insurance policies from people. Um, and so like that just gives me that extra, it, yes, it's just paper, but an extra asset that I can sell, even if 
you know, not, you know, we're in this doomsday scenario. Well, you, and so then, you bring up uh, viaticals and life settlements. Uh, can you say that again? So companies even today would be willing to purchase a life insurance policy from you. Is that right? Yeah. So I could, I could take my policy, for example, and it has a cash value and a death benefit. They might give me more than my cash value, but less than my death benefit to buy my policy from me if I wanted to do that. And that would have the effect of essentially getting whatever the the new mode of trade would be, you know, whether it's, you know, a, a cryptocurrency or gold or something, and they get to ho- hold on to the life insurance. And uh, you also probably better, you know, move out of state if they're going to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's no rule of law, but that's another story. Right. Okay, cool. Well, so as we're kind of wrapping things up here, um, you know, the life insurance companies are are one place that I'd say, um, you know, folks can sort of hold predictable liquid cash. Uh, but tell me a bit about um, why they might be considered, the life insurance company themselves might be considered the last domino to fall. Because life insurance companies are so big, and in fact, the bigger they get, the more stable they become. And they have lots lots of cash like they they have a reserves and they are required by law to have those reserves and that helps them weather whatever storm and they have whole teams of people that are really conservative and concerned and thinking through way more scenarios than we thought about to help protect the company as well and that gives me a lot of comfort that they're experts on these things and that they're kind of above the storms and, you know, just to wrap up our episode, you know, what about gold? Let's talk about the, the original place to store value. Uh, you know, if, if there is a major world financial crisis and gold does what it normally does, it'll typically rise in value during that time, right? Booms and busts have happened with gold in the past and gold hit a record high in 1980. Uh, and then it dropped like a stone and never even got back to that level again until 2006, which was like 26 years later. An ounce of gold would have to be worth $2,000 just to have the same purchasing power it had back in 1980. Uh, so we, we haven't even kept up with inflation from 1980. And even now, it's still, it was hovering right around, uh, around 1500 bucks per ounce. Uh, as of this recording. But, you know, if I saw the world going back to a, a gold-only economy, you can bet I'd be borrowing from my policy to get as much gold as I could possibly buy as my policy would let me, right? Yep. Um, and in fact, there's a really cool 100-year historical chart of gold that we can include in our show notes. Um, so we'll include that as well. But Amanda, this has been a lot of fun, although terrifying, but a lot of fun. Uh, are there any final thoughts you'd want to share with our listeners? The one of the big catastrophes we didn't talk about is what if we lose or there are significant cuts to Social Security and Medicare? How how does your financial strategy stand up toward that? I would love to explore that with people. Honestly, with Amanda's help, we've been able to walk through a number of different scenarios. Is there a way folks can reach out to you if they want to learn more about or think through some of these scenarios in their own circumstance? Yeah, grandmaswealthwisdom.com. Amanda brought us, I think, some real heat today with uh, showing us what can happen and what might happen. Uh, And I think we went all the way up to zombie apocalypse. I don't think uh, any other financial podcast has taken it all the way there. So (laughs) you heard it here first, folks. Um, But Holly, give us us some feedback on this. What was it like uh, hearing some of these what ifs uh, if the world crashes tomorrow? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I'm most interested in what I need to do in a zombie apocalypse. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, Duck that's, cover. that's yeah. really what I've, I've been prepping, you know, for and mm-hmm. so most valuable. Um, but no, actually, I guess so kind of what stands out to me is, um, I guess, just some of the notes and, and particularities around, um, you know, a decline in the dollar or inflation versus deflation. Just I feel like, you know, some of these what ifs are a little more like grandiose and like, OK, what if we do, you know, have some sort of a, a Apocalypse and like okay, in, in my head it just kind of boils down to like we're not really going to care anymore yeah. um, because we're just going to be like swapping like food and you know canned food and water and things like that. So you can kind of just like not worry about your life insurance contract or your mutual fund account. You know all of that's right. just going to be like whatever. Um, but I think some very real potential scenarios, though, is we could see something crazy with like a crazy period of deflation, hyperinflation. Those, you know, I mean, not that they're like imminent or anything, but they're a possibility. And so sometimes I'm kind of curious to hear about um, those and like how that would affect um, your bank on yourself policy. And I guess uh, to me, it's just kind of encouraging to know that there's um, obviously pros and cons, right, mm-hmm. to, to all these scenarios. There's going to be things that are going to be um, helpful, but then there are still going to be aspects of it that are hurtful too, right? So even in deflation, there's things that are maybe like, ooh, yeah, that's going to be not super awesome for your policy, but there is this other aspect to deflation that's actually going to help it. So mm-hmm. I think that that's just kind of a good thing to keep in mind, and a lot of that's going to be true of any investment. Um, I mean, I guess I should say more of your like stock accounts, right? Um, where anything that is going, you know, they're going to have their own list of pros and cons. Mm-hmm. This is going to have its own list of pros and cons. And so just kind of keeping that in mind that you're not like escaping um, the effects of deflation or inflation in any of these accounts. Exactly. So to, mm-hmm. to, to be super worried about oh, I got to get in the vehicle that's going to make sure that no matter what happens in the world, I'm not going to be affected is just not realistic. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. But it's still good to know, hey, you know, what are going to be some of the implications that you're going to want to be keeping in mind? And some of those are, hey, your premium is going to become way easier to pay. Like, mm-hmm. and that's kind of fun. Um, you know, other things maybe, you know, on the reverse, okay, maybe your premium might be a little tighter now. Um, but you know, how much money did you, have you saved already and how much more valuable Mm -hmm. is that now, you know? So, um, yeah, just kind of some fun things to to think through. Um, Mm -hmm. Enjoyed listening to Amanda kind of unravel all that. Super good. I'd say for me, it was uh, just a reminder that the life insurance companies are typically going to be the last domino to fall. As as we as you mentioned rightly, Holly, you're never you're never in a nuclear bunker with you know, if you're existing in the financial universe with the rest of us. We're always exposed somehow. But you know, if if life insurance companies have the majority of their portfolio wrapped up in investment grade bonds and held to maturity treasuries. I mean, these are things that are at the base of that pyramid we talked about, the Exeter's Pyramid. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, we can essentially count on if everything's going unraveling, your your contract with the life insurance company is going to be about the last thing that unravels, you know, Mm -hmm. if if nothing else, right? So uh, keep keep your chin up, guys, at this moment. uh, You know, I think the world will keep on going. 
you know, the world will keep on spinning. I don't think we're hitting a, hitting a nightmare scenario just yet, <laughs> although we did record this about a month in advance, so you never know. <laughs> so if we're uh, recording this into the nuclear uh, you know, moonscape of Earth, um, welcome to the new chapter. Otherwise, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, <laughs> and uh, we hope you uh, enjoyed this episode and a lot of fun for us to record as well. So thank you all for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join the financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.